0: Turn your Bibles to the Philippians, the fourth chapter. I'm going to get our lesson out of the latter part of Paul's conclusion to the Philippian church. The statements we're going to read are very thought-provoking in and of themselves, and maybe are of such a nature that, uh, that some parts of it we would say were almost impossible that, uh, from a human standpoint. And what makes us think different and realize and understand different is when we take into consideration the person that spoke it and where he's speaking it from. And so to set your mind for the lesson today, which is really going to be that that you and I make our own decisions as to not only what we're going to be, we make our own decisions as to what we're going to think about, Uh, whether we're going to be depressed, whether we're going to be optimistic, uh, whether we're going to be positive, whether we're going to be a zealous individual or not, all of this revolves around simple decisions that we make in our mind and that, that we can actually control our mind. We can walk around with anxieties and fears. We can walk around depressed and down or we can walk around positive and and upbeat and without the anxieties and and without the fears, and and all of it is a simple choice, just a very simple decision that any one of us can make in our own mind. In fact, to set the stage for it, uh, we can see the parts of these truths in many ways in our experience with life. How many times in a working situation, are in a catastrophe situation or in a situation with the church or whatever, have you gone through events in your life where as a result of those events, there would be some people that were down and depressed, but yet through those events, there were all those those individuals, and I grant you in the minority, who could be upbeat and positive. Uh, Haven't you had the experience of visiting the hospital? And two individuals uh, experiencing a similar thing, whether it's an operation for cancer or heart or whatever it is, and one person have a tremendously different attitude uh, than other people have. I remember, for example, just sitting here and I look at Nellie and Sherwood, and when I visited them in the hospital and Sherwood was having a, I shouldn't say Nellie, I meant Nellie, his mother is who I'm thinking about, Nellie's triggered it, But when I visited Sherwood, and when I visited Mary Overtureth, when they they were in the hospital, and with something extremely serious and life-threatening, in fact, uh, uh, Mary lost her life with her disease, but yet their attitude uh, under all that situation was very positive, very upbeat, very confident, uh, very assured of themselves, and in so many ways totally different than attitudes I have experienced. I have visited people who did? Who were sick, and it had some negative things happen to them, but really were not in a life-threatening situation. And although their situation was not as bad, they were not able to have the kind of attitude and the the feel towards the whole situation that that Sherwood and Mary did. So there's a there's a difference there. And we experience that all the time. You go to the funeral home, you go to the hospitals, you deal with families, you have things happen in your own life. And sometimes these individuals, or you and I may be one of those individuals every now and then, who are down, or who are depressed, or who are negative, often want to leave the impression, well, I have no other choice. If what had happened to me has happened to you, you would be in the same condition. You would be just as tense, you would be just as anxious, you would have just as many anxieties, you would be just as negative, you would be just, just as depressed. Well, there may be some uh, conciliation to the minds of these people in thinking that way, but that's simply not so. But all through life, there are those people who are able to experience the worst that life can throw at them and have a positive, upbeat, confident type attitude. And there are those individuals that can actually experience less than the worst and have a very defeated, down, and depressed attitude as a result of it. It's the same with our temperament when it comes to to getting mad and blowing up. We all know that you can have two equal situations, and one person just blow up and and just explode, and another person handle it in a completely different way, and yet they're dealing with exactly the same situation. So obviously, there are things that, that we do in our mind but it makes us the way that we are. And I believe Paul gives us a, a real key here and a real idea as to improve ourselves and be the way that, that we've complimented others in the way that we'd like to be. Now, to fully appreciate what is said here, let's look at the man. As Paul sits down and writes this letter, he's not in a comfortable building. Uh, he is not in a state of freedom. He's not in good health. Paul's in jail, and uh, the Roman people, whether they're citizens or otherwise, that were in jail in in Paul's day would have been astounded that in our society people in jail can protest if the color TV's not big enough or or if the commode's not sitting in the right place or something like that. They didn't have those services. And so to be in jail was to be in a dungeon. And by the way, the majority of the people that went to jail for any length of time in Paul's day wound up dying from various diseases. Uh, It was hard to be healthy for any length of time on what you had to eat and, and the living conditions itself. And so Paul is in a dungeon. He has everything seemingly possible of a negative nature that's happened to him. And what I mean by that is here is a man that loves everybody and is trying to do right and is concerned about getting the good news of salvation to everybody. And the very people he's trying to help many times are turning against him. And even in the church, uh, many of the church turn their back on him. Hey, Paul's that liberal trying to do away with the law. And then there was the Jews that absolutely seemed to despise him. And there were the idolatrous people that hated what he was doing to their trade uh, in the the sale of their merchandise. And so he finds himself in jail, trying to do good, and yet has made all of these enemies. Well, then to complicate it and make it worse, Paul was not a healthy person. Uh, And his physical health was of such a nature that he had actually petitioned God on three different times that that God might relieve him of this, and, and God didn't. And he told Paul that you're just going to have to bear with it, Paul. There's a reason for this being that way. And so whatever Paul's physical problem was, that it was bad enough that he petitioned and pleaded with God three times, and God didn't remove it. So here's a sickly man in jail for doing good, And in that situation, he is writing this letter, and he's upbeat, and he's positive, and his spirits is good. And again, what in the world causes a person to be like that in a situation like this? Let's step in the very last part of the letter. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's read it again. The man in jail who is physically sick, who is going to be executed in just a few years, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, what's the result? Don't be anxious. Rejoice. But present your request to god and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus notice what is it that guards your hearts what is it that that causes you to to have a peace of mind that transcends all understanding your knowledge of god and and the relationship that you have with the lord And your knowledge that the Lord is near. Now, in the fullest sense that Paul was using that in in this context, it's really not important. The point is, the Lord is near. And so this knowledge that the Lord is near, that you have a relationship to him, that you're right in your relationship. Here you are with the remission of your sins, the hope of eternal life, knowing that if you die, you, you have eternal life. Knowing that whatever wrong is going on in this world, God is in control. The one you serve is in control. Uh, He owns the entire world. Knowing that whatever disease you may have in your body, or whatever negative thing that's happening, is part of a program that God allows and uses. Diseases, death, originated with God. And they came about because of man's sin, And the purpose was to motivate man to think and to seek and to inquire concerning his spiritual condition and why things are this way. And the reason that God allows all the consequences of sin is so that we can look at those consequences and begin to appreciate how right and perfect God's law is and then to have a desire to do it. And so if the end result of what is going on in the Mid-East, wherever something like that is going on, if the end result is that people become more concerned about the relationship with God, they have a desire to seek after truth, they begin to think of the possibility of of eternal life, and they begin to think in all those directions, and what we're looking at is a great negative, is something positive. So this is why that a Christian can live in a world and in a situation that if he were not a Christian would cause him to be down, depressed, and totally, totally without any hope. But because of a knowledge that he has in his mind and an understanding that that I don't have to be anxious about the things of this life. God is listening to me. I don't need to pay a psychiatrist fifty dollars an hour. Why in the world waste $50 an hour or $100 an hour, whatever they charge on a psychiatrist, when the creator of the universe is as close to my my heart and I can talk to him? And why spend my time or pay $100 an hour for the advice of someone when I've got a book here where the men that wrote it were so guided by the Holy Spirit that the writers literally refer to it as God-breathed. That it's given to me in such a way that I can validate that. I can read the predictions and their fulfillment. I can see the evidence for the resurrection of Christ and all of those other evidences there. And so if I've got a God-breathed book that I can get information from, and if I can speak to the creator of the universe, And if as a result of this book, I can have an understanding that other people do not have concerning disease and sickness. In other words, I can have cancer like anybody else. But as a Christian, I can have a different understanding of that. You see, as Christians, we do not lay up for ourselves treasure on earth where moth and and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. We we know that this body is going the way of the earth. We know that the body will return to the dust, but we know something else. The Spirit will return to God who gave it. And that Spirit will return to God as one, if we're in Him, who has the remission of sins and has eternal life because in this life we have repented of our sins and embraced the salvation that we have in Christ. And so the result of all that knowledge, the knowledge of salvation by grace through faith, the knowledge of God's providential care, the knowledge that God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love him. The knowledge that we have eternal life, all of this we think on, the end result is, we make our requests to God as we have them. Knowing, in fact, as you read this, flip your, hold your place there, and flip over here to 1 John 3, and verse 21 through 23, and then 1 John 5, and 14 and 15. And we're looking now at these statements about request that we actually can make to God. In 1 John 3, beginning with verse 21, Dear friends, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He has commanded us. So he says, if you can look into your own heart, and your conscience doesn't condemn you, your conscience doesn't condemn you because you can honestly say, I love God, I love my fellow man, I desire to do the will of God. Therefore, my conscience doesn't condemn me. Then he says, you can can obey his commands, this is his command, etc. You can go to God in prayer and ask, and you will receive. Okay, now we went over to the fifth chapter and beginning with verse 14 this is the confidence that we have in approaching God if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us whatever we ask we know that we have what we ask of him okay turn back to your main text what has he said here but if you're laying there with cancer or a heart problem or whatever it may be, that just because you're keeping the commands of God and, and your conscience is clear and your heart doesn't condemn you, that then you can make a request to God and whammo, you won't have cancer and, or whatever the problem. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say that any more than he, he said to his own son when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and said father if possible take this from me but nevertheless not my will but thine be done what he said is that we can make request and if that request is in keeping with God's will you'll have that request we don't want God to always give us exactly what we ask for any more than we want a parent what would you think of a parent that gave the child everything it asked for It wouldn't be much of a parent, would he? In fact, the end result is something we call spoiled, right? A spoiled child is somebody that the parent gives everything they want, and they don't say no. The parent knows better. The parent knows that the child sometimes wants something that's not really in his best interest. The parent knows that something that is difficult is sometimes what is best. So when we make our petition to God, we make it with the attitude of, hey... Thank God he is wiser than we are. We don't always know what we want. We think we do sometimes. And so we make our request to God knowing that if that request is in keeping with God's will, then that will be answered and we'll have our petition. But we know something else. If God says no, then we can be comforted in that we know that that request was not in keeping with God's will and we shouldn't want it because the end result may be something that's very negative from a spiritual standpoint. And so Paul says, knowing this, you and I can go through life with our attitude of prayer towards God, knowing that we're in communion with him, the relationship that we have through Christ. If you can look into your own heart, notice the condition there, if you can look into your own heart and your heart does not condemn you, you have a good conscience, you can honestly say, I love God, I love my fellow man, I am seeking to do the will of God to the best of my ability. That's what I want. If you can say that, then your conscience doesn't condemn you. You feel good. You can approach God in confidence and know that every request you make, if it's in keeping with God's will, he hears you. The one he says, no, it's for your best interest, he's saying no. And so you're in a relationship like a child is, only your parent is an absolutely perfect parent. The end result of this knowledge, he says, is you and I don't have to go through life being anxious. Show me a Christian, whoever they may be, or me, or you, or anybody at any time in our life, that is going through life full of anxiety and anxiousness and allowing that to destroy a quality of life here. And I'll show you a Christian who either doesn't understand what he has in his relationship with God or doesn't believe it. Or who maybe does understand it and does believe it but who is not living in keeping with God's will and therefore he doesn't feel good or she because when he looks into his heart, his own heart condemns him because he's not doing what he knows is right before God. So all three conditions are important. Be able to look into your own heart and know that you're you're doing to the best of your ability what is pleasing to God and then have this understanding that he gives us here And then the confidence that you can have in prayer, in knowing all of this, you can have a peace of God that he said transcends understanding. And what he is saying there is people who do not have that understanding will not understand your peace of mind. What pagan guarding Paul at this time could have understood his attitude? Writing a letter telling people to rejoice all positive all upbeat. There's no way any Roman pagan could have understood Paul now Hold your place there Flip over here to Acts, the 16th chapter Notice again to show you that Paul Preaches and he practices what he what he preaches in this area Beginning in verse 25 About midnight Paul and Silas, wait a minute, let's back up to verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay. Okay. You're preaching, if you're Paul, has he's just got you thrown in jail again. Paul met a lot of jailers in his day. His feet are in stocks. So he's not in a very comfortable situation. He's just been thrown in jail for doing exactly what the Lord told him to do. Now let's see, Paul. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Probably thought they were crazy. Suddenly there was, and now we begin to really think. Suddenly, notice first, Paul is praying and singing. Keep in mind, before we get down to the jailer, he's got Paul in stocks. And here's this guy in stocks, and he knows Paul's been preaching about Christ and salvation in Christ. And Paul is in jail singing and praying. And so the jailer hears the man praying, and he hears him singing and he knows what he's been preaching. Can you imagine what went through his mind now? Suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer then brought them back to the house, set a meal before them, and was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Now come over here back to our place in Philippians 4. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi had its birth when Paul got thrown in jail at Philippi for preaching the gospel. If he had not been thrown in jail, he would have never met the jailer and his family. The end result of his being thrown in jail is that he winds up converting the jailer and his family. The church has its birth in Philippi. And of all the letters that Paul writes, the only church that he seems to be just about 100% satisfied with is the Philippian church. When other churches would have nothing to do in supporting Paul, the Philippian church would send time and time again to his needs. Okay, so here's Paul making the statement to you and I, but he practices what he preaches. And so he's not anxious, he's not full of anxiety, he puts, makes his request to God, he examines his own heart, the end result is Paul has a peace of mind that transcends understanding, and I'll tell you something else that Paul has going for him as a result of this. You and I as Christians are in the business of trying to lead others to the good news of the salvation that they can have in Christ Jesus. We cannot go out into this world where people have all the problems that they do with their children that are on drugs, the, the divorces and problems in their marriages, and all the host of problems that they have as a result of living in, in this society and, and living it without God, and the depression and the downbeat that's there. In fact, many of the things in our society, I'm convinced personally, are there as an escape from the realities of life that are very unpleasant. No better way to escape than through sports and movies and things like that. And it's there as an escape. We can't take this good news of salvation from the framework of individuals that are down and depressed and beat and unhappy with our own lot in life and walk around telling people, hey, we've got good news. That doesn't even come across as sensible. Uh, for a person to be down, depressed, uh, full of anxiety, worried about every little thing, and then say, Hey, I've got good news. You can be saved in Jesus. You can have the remission of your sins. You can have a peace that transcends understanding. You can have a relationship with your wife that's different, or a relationship with your husband that's different than what people have that don't have Christ. In a world... Well- that is having a lot of problems with their young you can actually bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the lord and send them out without the fear of drugs and alcohol and and all the other problems that that other people have as a result of bringing them up in in that way that you can have a totally different frame of mind we can't take that message unless it's obvious that we've got it paul took it because he had it he's in jail and he's singing and praying The end result is, he converts the jailer and his family. Okay, let's go, now What further. Notice what we said to start with. We said, you and I make decisions in our own mind. And by the way, when we talk about being this way, remember, it's a decision that each of us make. There is no one of us that hasn't had those times in our lives where maybe we were like Elijah. What happened to Elijah when he went off to that cave by himself and he's absolutely depressed? What got Elijah in the cave and totally depressed, and and he's quit, and he said, it's no use, nobody out there believes? Elijah had been thinking about nothing except the negative. And so God comes to Elijah. How does God change Elijah? How does he get him to go back out? He doesn't do anything mystical to him. What he basically does, he says, Elijah, you're just thinking about the negative. You're, You're thinking about all those people out there that have rejected the truth. You're thinking about those thousands out there that are, that are worshiping Baal. But listen, Elijah, I've got 7,000 people out there that are not worshiping Baal. Now, the word seven is used in a way in a scripture that it doesn't always mean a literal seven. It's used as a perfect number. So whatever was involved in that 7,000, whether literal or way beyond, I don't know. But I do know that God said to Elijah, Elijah, you're down in the dumps and you're in this cave because all you're doing is sitting around thinking about all the negative and what you need to be doing is thinking about the 7,000 people I've got out there that have got their life on the line for me and you need to get out with them go get busy. Elisha is one of them. And o Elijah got out of that cave and he went to Elisha and now we have us another prophet who's just about as strong and maybe as strong as Elijah plus a slew of others that the man is in the process of training. So what got him out of the cave? Nothing mysterious. Just a change in the direction of his thinking. He begins now to think on things that are positive. Okay, next part. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things you and I make the decision about what we're going to think about and so Paul says just as you don't have to be anxious that you can cast your cares on the Lord you can make your request to him that you can have a peace of mind that transcends understanding just think about what you've got going for you in the same way he says you and I make a decision in the way we think And so he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the result, the God of peace will be with you. You know, uh, all depression is, according to the psychiatrist, is people dwelling on the negative all of us experience depression to a certain extent we experience it to this extent that we think about the negative. you can't get away from the negative it's there it's all around us we all get sick we all have deaths in our family we're all going to die you can't get away but the problem with depression is when a person makes a decision that i'm just going to constantly think on this negative that's happened and the end result you get down and down and down and paul says stop it Look and, and begin to think about the positive. Every last one of us sitting here today have negative things in our life. There's not a one of us. Uh, some of you are, have older people that you love in your life that are, that are near death or in very difficult health positions right now. We, we all have that. And those of you that are young younger and maybe don't have that as much with your parents, you will have that. We all have things about our own body and our family and out that is maybe not exactly the way we'd like it to be. We all have these things. There's negative things in the, with the church. Uh, if I want to get depressed, all I have to do is, is think back over the years that I've been preaching to some of the individuals that I have spent multitudes of hours with. And now there just is back into the world as they can be. It's, it's as if that all those hours are down the drain. Uh, individuals that I saw teach classes and, and preach and, and lead songs and, and work with young people and now in the world. And there are children out there. They know how to hit a baseball and, and how to shoot a basketball or, or whatever. But They're not learning anything about the Lord. They're learning the ways of the, the, ways of the world out there. And I can think about that, and I can just get extremely depressed and down. But I can think about all the people that that I've studied with that have obeyed the gospel. I can think about six of my own children that are all now devout Christians, that three of them are married to devout Christians so far. And I can think about other, those of you here that are faithful and who love the Lord. I can think of people like uh, Mark Hall who comes to our study in, in the week and, and who now, right now is worshiping with a church up at Kingston and, and who has a Bible, sometime, Bible study in his home on Friday night. I can think about some of these other young people that come to the study and are, are at Tennessee Tech and who have benefited from the information. And I can think of uh, Brad Miller up in the northeast and his family and the whole group up there. was, And I can feel real good. And I can feel positive. And I can think of what the Lord told me in the first place. He says, hey, sow the seed. That there's going to be some that get choked out by the world. There's going to get, there'll be some that will fall by the way when the going gets rough. And there's going to be those people of a good and honest heart that will embrace it and go to heaven. That's all the Lord said in the first place. And so then I can feel positive and I can feel upbeat And I can take it from there and think in any direction that I want to. All of us can do that. We all have negative things that we can dwell on, every last one of us. We all have positive things that we can think about. You want to think of something positive when you go out in the hall and you pass going out the door, look over at the wall, think about the man in Mexico that you're helping to support. And before we started to help him and, uh, and another one started to help him up here, uh, he was existing on, from what I could understand, near nothing. And that wouldn't be the case very long. He would eventually quit, I guarantee you. And now he's there and he's doing it full time. Uh, think about John Clayton and the work that he's doing and, and you're helping to support him. Uh, think about the man in Pennsylvania. Just got a letter from him this week, by the way. And since January, he's had a part in baptizing nine people in the church up there. He's a full-time, personal, work individual up there. And they've baptized nine people since January. Think about him. Think about anything else that we've had a part in that's good. And so we can be upbeat, we can be positive, and we can feel good about ourselves, and we can have a peace that transcends understanding. And you and I make the decision the way we're going to think. Remember, number one, the negative happens to all of us. You don't get through. John the Baptist got his head cut off. Jesus was executed Paul's going to be executed Peter was executed John writes Revelation having been banished to the isle of Patmos for his preaching the other apostles were all killed the prophets were beaten and destroyed and, and sawed in two we read in Hebrews the 11th chapter we don't get out of this world without taking our bruises along the way but it's all there because of sin not because God wants it God loves us, he gave Jesus to die for us, he gave Jesus to give us a perfect example of what life looks like when it's lived in compliance with the will of God he has provided us with a situation where we can be saved even though we know we don't deserve it sometimes when I think of some that have gone by the wayside here, and then I think of some of you, and I think, thank to God, at least I hope now, that we all have an understanding of salvation to realize that salvation does not depend on your being the best person around. It doesn't depend on your being perfectly right on every little detail. It doesn't depend on you dying on your good day. Salvation depends on your trust in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and your willingness to repent of your sins. And God is patient and loving and kind and understanding. And he'll be with us all the way. We'll never be perfect. But as long as we're maturing and developing and growing, God is patient. He's with us. And you can live every day confident that you have eternal life, the remission of your sins, and you have it all as a free gift of God in Christ Jesus. And along the way, the frame of mind that we have about death and sickness and all the problems of life is in reality up to us. We choose what we're going to think on. We can think about the positive and the pure and the good and the holy. We can think about the relationship that we have with God. We can think about the good that we need to be doing in the world. And we can be positive, upbeat people that will be actually healthier as a result and all the time confident of eternal life. We can have better marriages. We can do better with our children. We can be an example in the world. It's all up to you and I And our desire to embrace the information, put it into practice, think in the way God asks us to, cast our anxieties on him, and make our request, knowing that all that are in keeping with his will, that he'll answer. And the one he says no to, it's for our good that he said no. Let's conclude our study for this morning. If anybody is among us that is in any way subject to the good news of salvation in Jesus, and desires to respond, we give you that opportunity as together we stand and sing.